0: All right, everyone. Welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by. I do appreciate it. If you like my show, please like subscribe or follow on the platform you're watching or listening on just so you can get the most recent content. And I also apologize. Some of the stuff that I put out recently has said watch and listen on Google podcasts. Evidently, they actually don't have video podcasts on Google. It's only YouTube that Google has video podcasts on. Essentially, they allowed me to submit a video feed, but they just converted it into audio and I didn't realize it and I forgot to like go into their app and test it. So I apologize for that. But today on the show, we're going to be talking about Smile, released on September 30th, 2022, written and directed by Parker Finn, and this is based on his short film, Laura Hasn't Slept. And I, I don't know anything about that. i had never heard of that before this movie came out. For the producers, we have Marty Bowen, Wick Godfrey, Isaac Klausner, and Robert Salerno. And for the score, we have composer Cristobal Tapia De Vere. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. For the cast, with a few exceptions, this cast is mostly up-and-coming stars. So forgive me for not going too crazy on filmography. So first off, we have Sosie Bacon, and she plays Dr. Rose Cotter. And she's actually the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. Jesse T. Usher plays Trevor. Kyle Gallner plays Joel. And Cal Penn, here's a name that you know, maybe. He plays Dr. Morgan Desai, and he was in the Harold and Kumar movies. The I believe it's three of them. I don't think they made a fourth one. And he was also in National Lampoon's Van Wilder. That was, like, his big break. Like, he played Van Wilder's assistant. And I still enjoy Van Wilder quite a bit, actually. And he was also on the show House MD. And that's one of those ones that I feel like I'd probably really enjoy if I would just break down and watch it. But I just, I can't do long TV shows that I, like, have to pay full attention to and, like, not lose track of what's going on. And I I don't know. There's just a lot of factors at play there. Then we have Rob Morgan, who plays Robert Talley, and Judy Reyes, who plays Victoria Munoz. And she was actually in Scrubs. She played Carla. As I've mentioned, Scrubs is a a favorite TV show of mine. I I really enjoy Scrubs. I can watch it pretty regularly. I've seen it through so many times. I, I I can just watch an episode randomly now, and it's still good. So we don't have casting notes. Unfortunately, this is one of those movies that it's like, It wasn't any big name, so it wasn't, like, a big deal when they cast people. For the plot synopsis, a psychiatrist falls prey to a supernatural being who takes over the bodies of people around her to terrorize her and reveals itself with a scary grin. Tagline, once you see it, it's too late. Alright, guys, let's just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So, right off the bat, I've had a feeling like this was gonna be one of those fucking horror movies that leans really heavily on orchestration for scares. You know, it's just like these really loud orchestra hits that play into the scare moments. So Sosie Bacon does look like what would happen if Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon had a baby, but also you kind of like add in a dash of Hillary Swank just to give you a better picture. Rose is some kind of mental health professional. She's like a clinical psychiatrist, and she comes into an exam room to talk to a man named Carl who is rambling like a lunatic, and he's panicked about something. But she kind of just assumes this is just Carl being Carl, I guess. So Rose goes to see Dr. Desai, and he gives her a hard time about taking on a bunch of patients that don't have insurance, and and the hospital's having to flip the bill, and it's like, he, he clearly, you know, that's not desirable in a lot of hospitals. And right off the bat, like, showing a phone ringing alone on a desk is not by itself frightening at all in the least, but already this movie has gone there. So later on, Rose sees a new patient named Laura. She's brought in an ambulance, and there's actually this really cool overhead shot they do of the street as she's being brought in. It's pretty cool to look at. Uh, apparently, she witnessed a professor bludgeon himself to death at her college at a, with, like, with a hammer. And apparently, she witnessed a professor at her school Bludgeon himself to death with a hammer. It seems like a week is an awfully short span of time to rule Laura out as a suspect in such a bizarre case, but I'm no lawman, so. Laura is very on edge, and Rose asks her some basic questions just to see if she's nuts, and she knows what day and month it is, so I guess there's nothing to worry about. It seems like Laura is seeing things, and it's like people are being worn as a mask by some unknown being that basically forces them to smile. Copyright 2022. Of course, Rose assumes that they're just hallucinations brought on by some sort of mental illness, and Laura is thrown back in her chair by some invisible force. Like it throws her halfway across the room, and Rose calls for help, and when she turns back around, Laura is standing there with this creepy frozen grin and she basically slashes her own throat before the help can get there. And the police talk to Rose about what happened and there are some cartoonish things that these police officers are saying. It's like really exaggerated expressions and stuff. It feels really out of place. So Rose goes home and is obviously a bit unnerved by the experience and she takes a shower and I've never seen a movie shower enclosure that looked like any shower I had ever seen in my life. Like they always look like they're like $8 million fucking bathrooms that these showers are in. Like So now Rose is seeing this figure that looks like Laura did before she slit her throat, and her fiancé Trevor comes home and startles her out of what she's seeing, and she drops a glass, and that's played up to really startle the audience, but it's really fucking not scary. The two of them go out to dinner with Rose's sister Holly and her husband, and much like a lot of the interactions we've already seen... The sister and brother-in-law are assholes with, like, minimal social awareness. So at work, one of the detectives named Joel comes to visit Rose, and it's revealed that they are ex-lovers, and she basically tells him to fuck right off, and it seems like maybe as soon as Joel realized that the case involved Rose, that he should have maybe asked to be taken off of the case, but I don't know, I'm no coppa. Rose goes to see this patient, Carl, again, and when she walks in, he's sitting on his bed, smiling in silence, and then proceeds to tell her that her and everyone else is going to die and really just flips right the fuck out. Like, more so than he normally would. Like, basically, they kind of let on that, like, he's not, he's never gotten super violent or physical with anybody. And all of a sudden, that's what's happening. Dr. Desai addresses the fact that this is the second major incident in like 24 hours for Rose, and he's not blaming her or telling her that she's making it up. He just wants her to take leave, and I feel like that's fair. So Rose is stress-wrapping a present and pounding some white wine. Yay, yay. And for the second time in roughly two minutes, she drops a glass as her home security alarm goes off as, like, a scare thing, I guess. She's dropping this fucking glass. Ooh, spooky. She should probably switch to sippy cups at this point. I mean, something with a nice spout on it, a good firm lid. You know, maybe Dora the Explorer on the side. I don't know. So she gets a call from the security company. And when she tells them her back door was open, the security lady creepily asks her if she's alone and if she's sure she's alone and then tells her to look behind her. And then Rose turns around slowly enough to rival the durations of all three extended cuts of the Lord of the Rings movies put together. And it's like, why? It Why? What's what's that going to do? You turn around way more slowly. Is the thing not going to be there suddenly just because you did that? I don't think so. Rose hangs up and then gets a call from the real security company, it seems, and it cuts out and the police arrive to tell her that it's fucking nothing and she's just imagining things. And Trevor pulls up in confusion and wants to know what's going on. I mean, he's her fiance, but like, She's also like, it seemed like she didn't even call him to tell him, tell him that this had happened. So I paused this movie at this time just to catch up on notes and saw what the runtime was versus the progress I'd made. And I promptly shouted the word fuck very loudly into the void of my empty house. Rose freaks out enough to really concern Trevor later on. And she goes to see her psychiatrist who straight up asks for a specific, So Rose freaks out enough to really concern Trevor, and she goes to see her psychiatrist, and she asks the psychiatrist for a very specific medication, and I gotta say, doctors just love that, just Tell them how to do their job, basically. Like, don't let them figure it out. You know what I mean? You're wasting time. Especially if you're, like, already a doctor. It's like, they're gonna really respect the fact that you're gonna, like, stomp all over their opinions. The sister Holly's kid is having a birthday party, and it seems like Rose got the kid a pair of shoes. Like, that's what the box looks like. That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for her. And, oh, shit, this kid goes to open her gift, and he's opening the box and, like, looking at what's in it and he visibly freaks out when he pulls Rose's dead cat out by the collar. And I get it, he's a kid, but no one on earth would just pull this dead cat out of the box and hold it up in the air like some prize bass from a fishing tournament, you know? Rose starts seeing a smiling face on a girl at the party and has a full-on breakdown while no one at the party even tries to do jack shit, like maybe ushering her outside away from everyone, and she's thrown back into a glass coffee table. So everybody's trying to figure out why Rose is just such a fucked up mess all of a sudden, and Trevor tries to hear her out as she explains that her symptoms are just like those of her patient Laura, who died in front of her. He accuses Rose of having inherited these emerging mental health issues from her mom, and is basically piecing right the fuck out on this relationship, and I gotta be honest, the writing here is shit, like I don't know if it was, like, a choice for them to, like, do this. They they don't really develop this story about the mother very well. Like, it's not very well explained, and it's just, it's annoying, honestly. Like, I, I don't know. Let's just say Rose is surrounded by a lot of really great, supportive people, and she is just rapidly deteriorating. Okay, there's this moment where she looks at Laura's witness statements from the hammer incident, which she was able to acquire somehow and she highlights part of it for no reason on her computer, and then she opens a browser window and just types out something pretty similar in the Google search. Why did she highlight that? Why didn't she copy and paste it? That would only make sense. See, everything I'm seeing in this movie is why modern horror movies have such a bad reputation. This movie is definitely getting a sequel, and it has all of these common tropes that you see. I want to say, at the advent of the scream era, probably like, what was that? 96. It's like, all of a sudden there are these things like the jump scares, like all of a sudden it's a jump scare everywhere. Like not just occasional, but like every scare in the movie is just startling you. It's not frightening. The sudden loud music that accompanies that is also a big problem. Everybody not believing the protagonist is huge in these movies. Like, they're always just like, they they try and tell them, like, this is what's happening. I'm so scared. And, like, they're they're just like, you're being a dumb fuck. Like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You're clearly imagining things, blah, blah, blah. Especially in this movie, this is the worst instance I've probably seen of it. Everything turns out to be a fucking dream sequence, nightmare, fantasy, whatever, a hallucination they're all in the same pot for me. It's it's all pulling the rug out from under you. All of a sudden, you find out what you were watching wasn't really real. So she goes to see a Miss Munoz, who I guess is the widow of the professor with the hammer, and we get a brief glimpse of his body, and you see his face, and he's got this huge gash on his chin, and I guess that's supposed to be from the hammer, and I'm hoping that they don't want me to believe that this is the wound that actually killed him, because you could definitely survive this, like, get the fuck out of here. So Miss Munoz tells her about how her husband was behaving before he died and shows her drawings her late husband made, and it's all people with smiling faces. And then Rose gets herself kicked out when she says she's having the same experiences as her husband. So, like, basically, anybody who has some idea of how these things have been going on, like, they, they know that, like, it's not cool that Rose is just, like, showing up because it's, like, basically, like, potentially, like, bringing that on them. And I could see not really liking that. So Rose goes to see her ex, Joel, and asks him to get information on the professor who hammered himself. And, and he barely resists when she steals away his computer to see a photo of the victim. You see, the professor also witnessed the suicide of another witness who also witnessed a suicide, a few days before her death, and it's like, man, I feel like there are some similarities between these deaths and within this case. Joel and Rose watch surveillance footage of a smiling man at a gas station. Like you see the back of his head, but you know he's smiling. And he's at this gas station, he goes up, just walks up to somebody pumping gas and fucking just stabs himself to death. And that's it. that's like the footage. And it's like, okay. So Rose is going all Nancy Drew on this case and comes back to her house to find Trevor sitting in the living room with her psychiatrist, Dr. Northcott. And I guess they were just sitting in complete silence because you heard jack shit for voices as Rose walks into the front door of her house. And by the way, are a lot of people walking in the front door of their house? Is that a thing? I mean... I never use the front door of my house. Like, never have I lived in a house. Even when I was younger, my family always used, like, the door closest to the garage, which was definitely not the fucking front door. But these people were really nice houses that have big attached garages and stuff. Like, they're coming in ways that don't make sense to me. I'm rambling. I apologize. Trevor tells Rose that he was basically trying to help her, and Rose goes off on him and tells him he's a piece of shit, and he's basically just not being there for her, in these hard times that she's going through. So she storms off and goes to her sister Holly's. And of course, Holly also doesn't believe her and brings up that she's acting like their crazy mother, who I guess killed herself after Holly couldn't take the mother being crazy anymore and abandoned Rose with the mother. And basically Rose just gets pissed and tells Holly that she doesn't have a great grip on reality herself. Like she lives in her own little world And right after Rose is sitting in her car and Holly comes up to the driver's side door and startles her, even though we saw her come the whole way to the door. And then her head swings down like a rubber neck, like her neck looks all fucking rubbery. And it's made clear that Rose is seeing things again. And they show a shot of her confused nephew watching her freak out in her car. And I hope for writing's sake that that moment is somehow significant later. And post-movie edit, nothing with that moment came back at all. Like, I don't think we even saw any of these people again. Like, they don't come back up in the story. That this whole family, like her sister, brother-in-law, whatever. Joel calls Rose and reveals that there is a chain of 20 connected suicides with only one survivor. And it's like, who's working these cases that it took 20 for these dots to be connected? So Rose is somehow alone in realizing that they need to talk to the one guy Robert Talley, who survived to see what the deal was, like he was the only one in the chain that didn't die. I've noticed that when I'm really struggling to find good in a movie, I get a strong inclination to point out that it's well shot, like the cinematography is good. That of course doesn't mean that every time I say that it's a bad movie, but I'm saying usually like if it's one of the few good things I have to say Chances are pretty good I'm grasping at straws. This Robert Talley is in prison and they go to visit him, Joel and Rose, to see what he knows. And after initially resisting, he says that he'll share his story with Rose if Joel isn't present because he doesn't like cops or whatever. Talley says he's researched this phenomenon with all of these suicides and deaths and found other strings of suicides. And it seems like only if the person under the curse kills someone, they can survive and pass it on to someone else. I guess Rose just has complete access to all these case files now so she can obsess over them and we can get visuals of photos of dead bodies spread out evenly on a kitchen table. Dr. Northcott shows up and I mean, it's gotta be something to do with her being bad in this scene because it's like, they f- it feels like they've been laying that groundwork and she just, she has this like, Evil look about her, you know, like it's just like you don't necessarily think she's behind everything, but you also don't think that like she'd be a bad call to have be somebody that the demon or whatever takes over. Rose gets another call on her landline, and I'm just not sure what year this is supposed to be, even though they have iPhones. It's almost like they're just using a tired old 90s gag for scares. I'm not saying nobody has landlines, but I'm saying, like, for that to be your primary phone, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And oh yeah, suddenly, Rose realizes that Dr. Northcott has taken on the smiley face and goes to attack Rose, and it just cuts out as the attack is about to happen, which is really unsatisfying. Rose goes to see her patient, Carl, when she isn't supposed to. She's on leave, and Dr. Desai catches her, and she pulls out a knife and starts stabbing Carl and then like fucking wakes up, snaps out of it, whatever, in her fucking car down on the street. And I'm I'm getting pretty fucking fed up, yo. like it's pretty ridiculous. It's kind of pissing me off. She keeps seeing these quote unquote scary visions and running away and you don't really know what's real. And that's when I'd say I lose interest if it's blending fantasy and reality to the point that like the things you're seeing on screen are more than likely not even real and you know that that's when it starts to suck like it's one thing if it's just a pure fantasy movie and you live in this fantasy universe but like like I said it's like the pulling the rug out from under you thing it doesn't fucking work for me if my calculations are correct at this point there should be like 20 minutes of movie left and Rose goes to a spooky old house in the middle of nowhere and unless I miss something they really don't set up What she's doing. It's like you're just going to find out. And she goes in there and flicks the lights on and off a few times because I guess a clearly abandoned house not having power is just not believable enough that she needs to do that. So I guess she's here because if the curse doesn't have another victim to be passed on to, she's convinced that it won't be able to kill. It's got to be her childhood home. Like that's basically what it is. You know, it's like the house where she grew up, where her mom killed herself and all that stuff. So she looks down this spooky hallway at a closed door and the music is getting increasingly loud. So I guess she's just going to turn into a child now and see her mother on a bed like we've been catching glimpses of throughout the movie. Like the first shot of this movie is her mother laying on a bed and you don't really know what it means at all. I'm legitimately surprised that some 40 something power couple hasn't come in and fucking flipped this house yet. Come on. I mean, this is, this is a perfect place for them to gut it and just put all these fucking like little live, laugh, love signs all over the walls and shit. I guess Rose is setting up shop in the house now that she's worked through like 30 seconds of childhood trauma. So Joel pointed it out to her that she had like no exit strategy at this house for getting out of there and that she can't stay there forever, which is a valid point. So, come nightfall, she walks into her mother's room with an old timey lantern, and some creepy version of her mother is sitting on the bed with her hair draped down like every other fucking horror movie from the last 20 years. And she's like in a spaghetti strap top that I guess you'd go to bed in and underwear, like just underwear. And Rose is forced to talk to the mom demon, and there's a big demon showdown as the mom turns into a much taller, spookier version of herself while still wearing the same clothes, so it kind of looks ridiculous. Eventually, Rose throws the lantern at the demon, and I guess that kills it, which is like legitimately the only thing that was ever going to happen. Rose almost immediately drives back to confess her love to Joel and ask if she can stay there so Joel can watch out for her while she tries to sleep. Like She's so relieved she can finally sleep. And then Joel reveals himself to be the demon by saying that he'll stay with her forever and smiles. And it's another fucking dream. And she's still outside at the old house. And when Joel shows up there, she runs back inside because she doesn't trust him now because of the dream. So we get some peak bad visuals as this demon is still alive. And I've got to show a pic of this demon's face. I was legitimately laughing out loud at this fucking thing. It was, I I was not impressed with the visuals or the makeup in this one. So there's a shot of the demon entering Rose's body through her mouth, and Joel breaks in, and Rose is facing away in silence and dumping what fire marshals refer to as an accelerant on her body. And she turns around, and she's smiling, and then she just lights herself on fire. And then we roll credits. Yeah, so praise for this movie. Like I said, this movie is super well shot. I mean, some really choice angles and stuff in there. Sosie Bacon actually gives an okay performance, but I will forever associate her with this movie and avoid her future works as a precaution, which is a shame. For criticism, I'd like to quote June Diane Rayfield by saying, I did not care for this motion picture. It's like this movie was trying to check every box on the shitty modern horror list, as I mentioned. The amount of false alarm moments that turned out to be fantasy legitimately started to piss me off pretty fucking early on. And I expected this to be a much lower budget movie when I looked up the numbers on it. It just, it didn't feel very high budget. And I know I can be a bit hard on horror movies and they don't always phase me like they do other people, but to me, this was legitimately not scary. Like this wasn't a cool idea. I I don't really get it. Okay, so only a couple of trivia items. This movie had an unconventional marketing campaign leading up to its September 2022 release, where actors showed up at multiple baseball games, as well as the Today Show, and they were just, like, sitting there in silence, smiling, and not moving. And I just remember hearing something about this, and I'd probably think it was cool if the movie hadn't sucked so bad, but in retrospect, it's like, what a weird choice. Like, I guess if you think it's scary, like, yeah, you're gonna fucking think that's great. So all of the smiles in this film are natural and were not enhanced with visual effects, and honestly, like, it shows, like, none of these smiles are, like, particularly exaggerated. They, some of them are barely even, like, it it looks like the person who's smiling barely ever smiles. This film was originally titled, Something's Wrong with Rose. So on to info and ratings. We have a runtime of 115 minutes. This movie was rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, 17 million. Opening weekend, 22.6 million. Worldwide gross, 105.9 million. IMDb rating, 6.5. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 79%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 77%. Personal rating, 1 out of 5 stars. Yeah, that's right. I just. Do not fucking I, like this is the worst kind of horror movie. And there are good horror movies out there. Don't get me wrong. Like there are a lot that I like. There are some I still need to check out. But like this one, I would just say how popular it was with that viral marketing. It was like I was hoping for something more and I didn't get it. All right, everyone. Well, that's the show for today. Like I said, you know, like and subscribe and follow and all that stuff. Uh I'm thinking I'm going to be switching to movies I haven't seen before as much as possible, not like 100%, but like a lot less of these movies that I already am a big fan of when I watch them. So, all right, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews artwork, theme music, and podcast are written, performed, recorded, engineered, directed, and produced by Brandon Griffiths in association with Brandon at Random Reviews Entertainment.